This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. Sometimes the loyal soldier falls on his own sword to save his general from disgrace. It does happen. There's no question that it happens. And it happens in probably every business and every structure. Um, Maybe you've been that soldier before. Maybe you've been the general. And somebody else takes the blame for something you did. And inevitably, there is a chain of command. There's a chain of accountability. It goes up. It goes down. And at some point, someone is made accountable for either a mistake or a grievous error in judgment. And it happened yesterday in Ontario with the housing minister's chief of staff resigning. Two weeks ago, there was a very critical report about Greenbelt land deals. And uh, and everybody sensed it was coming. But it was even worse. I had somebody close to the situation say, we thought it'd be maybe a six and a half or a seven out of 10 in terms of damage to the provincial government is a solid nine. It was a nine, maybe not a 10, because, again, we're only talking about one resignation so far. But the concept was the government decided let's open parts of the green belt. Let's allow housing construction and let's favor a handful, a couple of developers and give them a potential windfall of around $8 billion. That's how this happened. Um, and anybody with a working brain, that's most of us. Good morning. If, if you know, it's only partly working this morning. I get it. You didn't sleep well, caffeine, et cetera, et cetera. Nobody, nobody could possibly think that the loyal soldier from yesterday, Ryan Amato, the chief of staff of uh, the housing minister, Steve Clark, acted on his own he did not he did not there's no potential way you could make that particular argument so there's a process and this was clearly ignored it's possible now it's possible doug ford didn't tell anyone outside his office about the backroom plan to open up the green belt but someone someone along the way who knew what was about to take place probably let out a few hints to others but let's make this clear nothing Zero, nothing happens in a minister's office that the minister is not aware. Hey, Greg, what about federal politics? You got it right there with you. Said so two months ago. Marco Mendicino knows Paul Bernardo is going to get moved to a medium security prison. He absolutely is aware of this. His staff isn't aware and he's not. And if he's aware, there's a very good chance the prime minister is aware. So this is a open and shut case. Clark knew. Ford knew. Ford's chief of staff knew. Ford's chief of staff, in essence, gets told, take a long walk off a short pier. You'll be able to be quiet. You're going to get paid. He just got back from Italy. Come on. He got back from Italy two weeks ago on his on his vacation. He comes back, and he's going to work three or four days in the office, collect some uh, office supplies, and then pack up and leave. Not a chance that would end up being the case. Here's the explanation yesterday. Well, this is from a couple weeks ago, to be honest, of uh, Doug Ford obviously talking about this scandal, but pivoting and saying, hey, we need houses. Haven't you heard? There's a lot of people coming to our province. And I'm being very conservative when I say half a million people a year, because we know uh, the other people that land across the country, if they continue uh, on this pace of 1.1 million people, they're coming to Ontario because that's where the growth is. That's the quality of life. Okay. And listen, by the way, you want to talk about immigration rates here for that conversation. You want to talk about the scandalous behavior of universities and colleges, allowing all these international students in taking a massive amount of tuition from them and giving them nowhere to live. 
nowhere to live and nowhere to be. Maybe they're just hoping to get their citizenship, but they're not going to get a quality education and they're not going to live in great circumstances. I'm with you. You want to call out the mayors? You want to call out the colleges and universities? I'm with you. I got you. I'm right here for that. Here's Steve Clark being asked whether he had confidence in his staff, including Ryan Amato, just a week ago. Uh, I'm fully committed uh, to the problems in the process that led us here to this report. And I've committed to ensuring that the 14 recommendations will move forward and will move forward quickly. But at the same time, we have a generation of Ontarians that are getting pushed farther and farther away from realizing the dream of home ownership. We need to continue to move forward on our housing supply action plans, on our strong mayor proposals. There's always the pivot. There's always the pivot to the idea that you need space for land. And the premier's own office looked at the data, looked at the geography, and they came back with a report and it noted, we don't need the green belt. By the way, do you think new Canadians who are just starting out that really aren't backed by big bucks can afford any of these homes on the green belt? You think a University of Toronto student, you think a McMaster student is getting a house uh, that's uh, two minutes away from a golf course on the green belt? I can assure you they are not. Many of them are living in seven uh, in, in seven bedroom houses, and the problem is there's only four bedrooms. So let's call it a seven-bed house in a four-bedroom house. Here's the uh, Liberal MP, Nader Erskine-Smith, and a Ontario Liberal leadership candidate reacting to the Green Belt report and saying what I just said that's obvious. There's no way that this was not a concerted effort among the Premier, among the Minister, among the staff. 92% of the acreage ultimately removed were from five land sites passed to the Housing Minister's Chief of Staff from two developers, including by way of a package handed to him on September 14th at a dinner function. So on September 14th at the Bill Dinner, Two prominent developers provide packages to the chief of staff, including Site 9. The next day, on September 15th, the sale of Site 9 is completed. It hadn't even been completed when they handed the package over. And then the following day, September 16th, the chief of staff communicates three priority sites for removal from the Greenbelt, including Site 9. Now, I've been in politics long enough to know that there is no chance There is no chance that a chief of staff takes all of these significant steps without informing the minister or the premier's office. So there is more to uncover here than the auditor general has been able to. Okay, it's um, it's a debacle. There's no question about it. And the only way forward is a full and complete public account of all the circumstances. And I can promise you that's not something that will land uh, Doug Ford or Steve Clark in good stead. Not just with the opposition. It's their job to criticize. It's their job to criticize. But people with the Ontario Conservative Party are pretty concerned about this as well. As well. Okay, so that's one of those scenarios. Shiba Siddiqui is with us this morning. How are you doing? I'm good. I've been listening to you, and I'm just feeling so frustrated with what's happening in our provincial government. What what the announcement was yesterday. So he's taking the fall for this. Yeah. Let's call let's call a spade a spade. He's taking the fall for he's this. He's the fall guy. When do you think they decided that he's the fall guy? Yesterday, the day before, last week, over the weekend, maybe because he he was he was away on vacation. The report comes out two weeks ago. Um, they defend it. Um, they end up saying, hey, the process will uh, will agree with 14 of the recommendations. The 15th recommendation is let's put the green belt uh, land back. 
But you know how this works, Sheba. And as I said, the Mendocino thing's no different. They'll shuffle the cabinet around That's at some it. point in time. Steve Clark will become the minister of this. Amato, this this guy, I don't want to call him a kid. He's probably he looks 30. He'll ask, he'll have connections. You don't orchestrate a big deal like this all on his own and then take a dive for the premier without he's getting a pretty handsome job somewhere else. We we know that. So does this get dusted under the rug? I don't know if it's. I don't know if it can be. I don't know if it can be. Um, I feel like everything else the provincial government does does get dusted under the rug. I feel like every. It's just whenever there's a scandal, we forget about it. We stop talking about it. There's no more information a month later. I know, but this this feels like the biggest one. But wouldn't you say? And I made this point before. Six isn't the scary thing. The idea. What if they put the Greenbelt land back? That doesn't help the liberals or the NDP. No. Because it, all through the pandemic, you and I watched it and you and I talked about it. People were like, oh, you don't like playgrounds closed? Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll change that idea. You don't like this store being go- Okay, we'll change that. They kind of pivoted very quickly within like a day or two when it felt like the public didn't like something. But I do feel they're digging their heels in for the green belt. You got it. You got it. There's huge pressure, huge pressure from a lot of people with a lot of money that helped end up getting them elected. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. I passed it around last night, so we all got a chance to look at it um, because it came after our show last night. A bit of a rethink uh, for the uh, Thermo company, and I think they acquiesced a little bit. One of the big things that I saw, Sheba, in the redesign that they presented yesterday was this building, which people, some people hate. And nobody has a totally, um, everybody has a lot of unique opinions about w- w- these, this Ontario Place redevelopment. But the idea is that the building itself is going to now, the spa building, its height was 45 meters. Now it's down to 22. And that was a lot of people's concern was, how tall it is. It blocks things out. You can't see it very well from um, the Portlands or you can't see it very well from further east, but it's still going to be a spa and it's still going to be this mix of public and private. But when I sent you that two and a half minute video, Thurma's going to put out what they're going to put out. But what did you think? Oh, I thought it was gorgeous. Right. So I, I thought you sent it to me. And I thought, OK, you know, and I, I'm a little I'm, I'm quite skeptical about this spa. In itself. And I saw it. It looks beautiful, but I don't, it doesn't seem like they even have the space for what I saw in the video. Uh, and and it's, it is stunning. I just don't, I don't know. I feel like that's too good to, that there's, how much is that going to cost? How much is it going to cost? And I, I play the video for my wife and we haven't, I, I will admit, we haven't gone to Ontario Place a ton outside of you're there for a concert or you're there for, um, or you're on the other side of the street and you go to the CNE or you go to soccer or whatever. But the idea that you could walk that far west, like you live west of downtown Toronto, I live east. The idea that there's going to be this massive pathway with sort of built-in beaches with people just with their water up to their knees. I'm like, that doesn't exist right now. No. (laughs) There's no, you can't walk like all that way around to where those C&E grounds are and all those exhibition buildings and then be more field. So they might connect it. They're going to connect it. It feels that way. And they're just going to build a lot. The video looks amazing. It, it does. does look amazing. It does. And and it look, we needed we needed this mix of of private in public. Um I, I hate the idea of the parking lot. I do think that. I hate the idea of an eighty one hundred spot parking lot paid for by public money yes. on the other side of the street. So that'll be on the other side of Lakeshore. And so people will I don't know how tunnel 
or the overhang bridge right now. Like when you walk across to Bud Stage for a concert. That pedestrian bridge. It's a weird one, right? Like it's just it's just a small wooden bridge. <laughs> or you go down to street level and you cross and usually cops are there and they're, they're directing traffic at Exhibition Place. But okay, but I love the idea of moving the Science Center. I do. I know a little. it's very controversial. I love the, of moving it downtown, moving right on the water. I think it's fantastic. I've seen that done in other cities. It looks beautiful to me. Uh, when's the last time you went to a spa? Um, uh, no, never. <laughs> okay. So you've never been to a spot. So this is obviously not for you. What, a water what? park would be for little kids though. We no. would go all the time to Niagara Falls. Yes. All, the water park. The yeah, and I think he wants to bring that business here. That's why he's making that. It's an indoor water park. I think that's a fantastic idea. But what about the actual spa? Part? What's the, what's the other part of it? Yeah. I don't know how exclusive, if you will. That's, that's not for you. I, I'm assuming, Gord, you're not at a spa every weekend. It's not for Gord. Guess again. Can't tell from my guess again. <laughs> good looks. You like that leaf wrap. That thing. Yeah. That, yeah the that, little fishes that nibble really at your toes. Good. Oh, my goodness. That would be good. I thought about that for over Christmas time. So this uh, is for a particular. So is this to keep the parents busy while the kids are at the water park? I guess they could uh, split them up a little bit. I, I, I guess that they could. Um, the, th- the one thing that is interesting is the spa needs one quarter of the parking spots. Um, the Toronto spa will need one quarter of the parking spots. Um, but the, where did I have it? The concept is the Therma people expect 10% of clientele to arrive via car and the other 90 via public transit. I'm telling you, that's mm. not going to happen. No, I don't think so. People either. are going to drive there. You you and I know, we've talked about this. If you dr- I drive places with little kids and you're bringing towels and kids stuff and you're staying overnight in Toronto you like you're driving you're not no one's taking public transit to go to a water park in Niagara Falls no so anybody that's coming to Toronto like a, a Great Wolf Lodge to Ontario that's place, right I think that would be fantastic that's right it, it is the one thing and they're promising public trails parkland beaches swimming areas uh, an expanded concert venue yeah it sounds great. I just, A, how much, I think it's going to go way over budget. It just sounds too good to be true. Uh, and I do like the revamped idea, though. I, I appreciate that they're taking the public's concerns into consideration. The walking the walking areas, the bike paths, the places to sit down and have a sandwich or, or have a cool drink. You and I know right now, there's nowhere to go. There's not like an Ontario place um, on that side of the street restaurant. There's not a bar. There's nowhere to sit. There's you, if you again, if you're going to the concert, generally speaking, that's a really well designed place with lots of options. But if you're not going to a concert, why are you at Ontario Place other than for a workout or to walk around? There's not a destination point for Ontario Place. And we've only I've said this before. We've only got ourselves to blame for letting all this happen. We let it go to go to hell in a handbasket for 20 years. We did. We did. Nobody and did anything that they should have done. What they're promising is between 68 to $78 for three and a half hours for a family of four in the spa. You can do worse. So the spa is a water park. Right. Wonderland. That's- Wonderland. There's, there's, let's say there's four of me. Wonderland's a, if I don't have a season pass, Wonderland's a $400 day. Well, it's C&E for me. Right. I'm, sure I is. start saving for C&E in October of every year. <laughs> Yeah, um, it, it and the, the the thing I hate and the thing I think that also makes people suspicious is it's like a 99-year lease. So I get it. You can't get out of this. Like, it's not like, hey, let's try this for 10 years and see how it goes. A 95-year lease. Again, our kids are all, our kids' kids are dying of old age. Our kids' kids are dying of old age by the time this lease is done and this business is up. Now, if it doesn't go great, maybe they pull up stakes and, they try and get out on their own. I don't know if they can break the lease any any more than than the province True. can. 
But you mentioned that you might be going to Chicago later this year. Yeah. What's your favorite thing about Chicago? What's the waterfront, some, exactly. Navy Pier. It's freaking incredible. Exactly. And we've got nothing like well, it. Well, I think that's what he's trying to do. And it's a mix of public and private. There's a Ferris wheel and there's boat. I, name somebody. Name name a boat tour in Toronto where people go. People visit Toronto and go, I want to take a that great boat tour that's in Toronto. It doesn't exist. No, it doesn't. Nothing exists So I appreciate exists what he's downtown. trying to do. He's trying to bring the waterfront back. It's, it's, a, it's the saddest waterfront I've seen in any city. In a large city, that's for sure. Yes, in yeah. a large city. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. So the breaking news we have this morning, and we had a lot to react to yesterday, the thermospa adjustment. We had um, the resignation of uh, Minister Steve Clark's chief of staff, the housing minister. But the Ontario Provincial Police say they've referred the Greenbelt matter to the RCMP, the quote, to avoid any potential perceived conflict of interest, the OPP has referred this matter to the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. By the way, how quickly can the RCMP dig into this? That's anybody's guess. But if you uh, if you wanted substance and you wanted a more independent arbiter of what happened in this process for to see if any if there were any illegalities as opposed to just things that were done that were below board inappropriate you're getting you're getting the law enforcement body more so than the OPP potentially that the public will perceive as being objective that's one thing that I don't think could be denied right there. Uh, on this front, uh, he was adamant about protecting the green belt during the mayoral campaign. That has not changed uh, since his return to city council, and that won't change, I don't think, going forward. Josh Matlow joins us now on Toronto Today. It's great to have you on. Thanks very much for the time. Uh, thanks, Greg, and you, you're absolutely right. When I lay out that news and the news of the housing minister's uh, chief of staff's resignation yesterday, You've been in politics long enough to know that um, your chief of staff, Josh, or the mayor of Toronto chief of staff can only act so independently and go rogue to some uh, small, small, (laughs) small element. Um, So I think most people objectively, whether they voted for Doug Ford or not, aren't finding this terribly convincing uh, that the chief of staff was handling all this himself. (laughs) It is it is absolutely impossible to believe that this chief of staff acted entirely alone and is solely responsible for an eight billion dollar greenbelt corruption scandal and that both the premier and the minister would have been completely in the dark i mean if they were in the dark then that is the greatest uh, and most gross incompetence that we've ever seen from any political leader in Ontario's history. Uh, I don't believe that's the case for one minute. I think that they are using the staff member as a fall guy. And this is, I mean, this is a, this is a tried and true, uh, you know, tactic that governments have used in the past when they get themselves into trouble and they, 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 they need somebody to take the, the fall for them. Uh, the reality is there's, there are going to be more investigations uh, to come. The integrity uh, this can be integrity commission, uh, integrity uh, investigation. Uh, as you said, uh, the police are going to be investigating this matter. And I think there's going to be a lot more uh, fallout and it's not going to end with this uh, uh, you know, staff member alone. How vocal um, should the city of Toronto be? How vocal you're vocal? Um, how vocal should other councillors be? How vocal should Mayor Chow be about this process? Well, you know, Mayor Chow, to her credit, uh, has been vocal, and she has said that this has been, uh, you know, this is this is wrong, and and she disagrees with it, and I I respect that, um, and uh, you know, ultimately, I believe that the city of Toronto, um, unlike how it was under the last mayor, uh, should be actively intervening 
uh, to protect the green belt. I mean, the green belt, a lot of people in our city, uh, you know, misunderstand that, they, you know, many people uh, believe the green belt is outside of Toronto. And the reality is we are part of the green belt. They actually, mm-hmm. through all the, the urban river valleys, the green belt goes right down to Lake Ontario. And um, it is the source of a lot of our food security. This is why we want to protect those prime agricultural lands along with the headwaters of our rivers and all the wilderness and green space that it provides our quality of life and our health and our environment. So it's deeply important to Torontonians. And I believe that Toronto should, you know, stake our claim and make sure that we work with neighboring municipalities to protect it and challenge this government uh, to uh, to reverse their not only wrongheaded decisions, but I think it's fair to say uh, they're very corrupt decisions uh, as to how they made uh, those decisions in the first place for their friends. Josh Matlow is our guest on Toronto today. You were the one mayoral candidate, um, and I heard it a lot from people, and I don't, whether they ended up voting for you or they didn't, who people thought got the most involved and, and stuck both feet firmly into the ground about Ontario Place. You even proposed that the federal government step in to protect that land from expropriation. Um, what was your reaction yesterday to Therma uh, maybe saying we've heard some of the public outcry and we are adjusting the plan? I don't know too many people that don't like it a little bit better, but does it go far enough in your mind? I mean, that's fair. And, and what, what I what I believe is that Therma uh did hear that the public was uh, really upset with their initial proposal. That's why they came forward with a revised proposal. That being said, their first proposal was awful. This is less awful. That's not good enough for Ontario. It's not good enough for Toronto's waterfront. It should be a great proposal, and this isn't it. And the reality is that it's still... Uh, not only privatizes much of the waterfront of Ontario Place, it clear cuts over 840 mature trees, and ultimately it will create the kind of destination that will really make it more about the spa than a public space for Torontonians and Ontarians. Now, I would like to see, as I think many people would like to see, Ontario Place revitalized, refreshed. We want it to be a destination. We want it to be an exciting place in a way that uh, that you know many of us remember it uh, from our childhoods. But it shouldn't be focused on this big private spa that we still have no idea what the lease entails. There's a 95-year secret lease uh, arrangement with the with the provincial government mm-hmm. that nobody understands the terms of because they haven't revealed it. So ultimately. I appreciate that they are revising plans, but you know, in many ways, they, they, their hand was forced because the pushback and the, the anger about their initial plan was so strong and so clear. But there's a lot of work to do, and I'm very hopeful, um, you know, that that the government, that Infrastructure Ontario, the Therma, will work with the City of Toronto to make sure that we move forward with the plan. That yes, we'll have elements of, of you know great destinations, great places to go, but it should work within. The focus being a public space along our waterfront, because so much of our city's waterfront has already been eaten up by private development, and we can't allow more of it to go in that direction. I, I think two things about what you said. I think I think public. I think when we think about the parking lot, taxpayer funded, private uh, business will benefit. It reminds people of the four hundred seven right now. It gives people the you know the heebie-jeebies. They don't like that feeling. I would say that as well, potentially about the spa. But when I hear privatization, I do think retail, I do think jobs, and I do think options. There isn't a restaurant right now on our waterfront. 
There isn't one. There should be probably five. Um, there isn't places to rent canoes, kayaks, bikes uh, very easily on uh, uh, at Ontario Place or along the waterfront. So I think we've been we've been behind the game on privatization, but we just have to find that balance. If people don't think the spa is it, that's fine. But we've let this go for so long. And you know, I think your your points are not only valid, but like I enthusiastically agree. Like we want we want. Any private elements should contribute to the public space. Mm-hmm. You know, we, cafes and restaurants and patios and canoe rents, all that. That's great. Like we, we want it to be a destination. We want it to be a place for all of us, our families, to go and have fun. That's yeah. the point. But it should contribute to the public space rather than the public space being overtaken for the profits of an Austrian company that wants to set up shop there. That's the point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you'll never be the ambassador to Austria, uh, Joss, at, at any point in time in, in your future political career. You might visit I, there someday, I, but you've... I, I, I think Austria is a wonderful country. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll set, we'll set you up. A, a nice uh, nice retirement villa in Vienna someday, but uh, not government funded. You'll have to pay for yourself. I uh, loved having you on. Thanks very much for the time. Always a delight. Thanks, Greg. Josh Matlow joining us. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Blue Rodeo has played these August shows, sold out Bud Stage year after year after year after year, uh, and they're back doing this. Right now, uh, they're on tour playing uh, Five Days in July, which is the album. Five Days in May is the song title, and they're playing the album all the way through and then playing a collection of their hits. Um, he joins us now. The Toronto show a little different, though. You're not playing the album all the way through, or are you playing a mix. What what should fans expect on Saturday? Yeah, Saturday won't it won't be the whole record for five days. I just don't think that's the venue for it. Yeah, it, it, it requires it's a it's a very uh, uh, low key dynamic record, so it's just not the amphitheater is not the place. But we are going to do. We're going to bring Melissa McClellan with us, who's been doing the backup singing, mm. the female backup singing on it. So we'll do a couple of pieces from it, just to I don't know. Just as a teaser. Mm. You know, I think about that, 30 years. Um, what do you remember about making the album? And I, I always think it's uh, it's a ridiculous question to say, well, did you feel pressure? Because you, you do for a while. Your first one is like, well, it's big. It's our first big release. Then you have a you have some hits. Oh, the second one's really important. You got to show it wasn't the, like Like by this point in time, you kind of had a rhythm down for how to how to make a record, didn't you? I, I think that those, that's very good comments, but but this record was made in an entirely different way. So we'd had we had we had lost together out, and it was a very popular record, and we toured all over the place, and we went to Australia a number of times, and that's where we were, were working on demos and new songs. But by the time we came back, also that was an incredibly loud tour. Mm-hmm. That was a ridiculously loud tour. So we were just exhausted when we came back, and the idea of going into a studio and making another record with rock songs. Just it, nobody had the appetite for it, so we decided that we would. You know, there just seemed to be a collection of acoustic songs in our demos, and Glenn suggested, "Why don't we just do an acoustic record?" We ran it by the record company, saying, "It won't be a regular record; it'll just be a one-off. It won't be, you know, it'll just be like a little specialty record." And that's when we decamped to Greg's farm. We set up with a truck, Doug McClement's truck outside. Invited friends over who were tenting in the grounds, uh, swimming in the pool. Mimi was cooking. And we just made it fun and enjoyable and with no intentions whatsoever for the record. So the fact that it turned into what it turned into was, was, was such a beautiful surprise to us. I mean, I think that we knew when we were listening to the playbacks that it was a lot more uh, engrossing than we thought. It was a lot more powerful than we thought. Um, but whether it would become popular, we had, we had no idea. 
Jim Cuddy's joining us from Blue Rodeo. You say that, and I, I forget sometimes, but but I think our, our audience would remember, like, Lost Together, people think of the title track, and they're like, well, you know, but already people were making that their wedding song. It's 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 yeah. it's connecting with people. But you're right. Restless, loud, right? Flying's loud. Oh, um, the big push of Angels has some moments where it's, you put the strobe <laughs> on and everything. Like, I was at a couple of those shows. So you're right. It was It's Lost Together as the title, but it was a lot more of a rock. It probably was your, your biggest rock album, really, to that point oh it was definitely our biggest rock album and it was the peak of our of our volume experiments we used to have to hand out uh, earplugs at, at the merch table and we would ask at the end of the night how many people left because of the volume and if it was under 20 <laughs> we thought it was a good night <laughs> it's incredible i mentioned this uh this toronto thing when did did was it a conversation where like let's pick a, a saturday night towards the end of summer let's always play this venue we're always going to have our hardcores people might miss it one year be away then they'll come back the next year it really has become the most notable toronto concert tradition i can think of in the summer i think that you know we we go way back to playing ontario place when it was the when it was the evolving stage and then and then the amphitheater we were one of the first bands to play the amphitheater we took a couple of years off when we did our our stardust picnics at fort york but it was just such a such a good play it was it became a tradition because we love to do things annually we get asked to do things annually mm. and what we realized was that people were starting to make it uh an event that they put on their calendar year after year and i think it has as much to do with people getting together as it has to do with the band we're the soundtrack to that event it's a little sad that it, it, it indicates the end of summer but it's also a celebration of what the summer was so um i think it's a it's a great tradition I love love doing it. There's always this, 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 you know, we try to do it so that there's at least one more week left in the summer that we can take off. And uh, there's always this beautiful exaltation when we're finished. It's like, wow, that was great. Wasn't the audience amazing? And so it's a it's a pretty glorious tradition for us. I think you nailed it. I think I think it has that feel and the vibe. Just to remind people, Budweiser Stage Saturday night, Blue Rodeo with Wild Rivers and Rose Cousins as well. And you you mentioned sort of that the venue and you know there's a lot in the air about what Ontario Place is should be what it used to be when when they changed the the, the forum from the rotating stage from a more intimate venue were you even as a performer thinking well well I hope this works we do want to play to more people but it had that intimacy on a Friday night or a Thursday night in the spring or summer that was pretty special to Toronto wasn't it Yeah I think that the, I think that there were really glory years of Ontario Place when it was free and it had a and it had a really varied programming um, but you know it's like it's one of those things you learn in life that that not all good things can last forever I think that when we first played the amphitheater, it had some real uh, problems. It had a really harsh roof, uh, uh, metal roof, which they gradually fixed, and it became it became something that was well, was great. I think that nobody would look back, having played that now, and think of what it was like when it first opened. So, and you know, there was a huge amount of enthusiasm from the promoters there of their new venue. They thought it was beautiful, and it was kind of tucked right into the. I don't know. I think they did it right. You know, in a way that I, I don't think they're doing the renovation of Ontario Place right. I don't think it needs a spa down there. I think it needs somehow to make the most of the natural setting and and the lake. And that's what I think people like coming down to the lake to see a concert. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I, I agree with that. I'm glad I'm glad you weighed in on that because I think, you know, Bud Stage is, has gotten very, you know, special. And I think people, I think they did just enough. 5,000 more seats and spreading it too wide. 
might almost be too much. I've been to some U.S. sheds yeah. that just feel like you're just, it's not, it doesn't have that intimate feel. And it, and, the, and it doesn't have that party feel if you're not up on the lawn. But yeah. they kind of nailed it. It really hasn't changed all that much. We're talking 28 years now. But but I don't know whether the vibe will change for it if, if there's a whole bunch of other stuff down there. I, I don't know yet. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I, I worry about that. I worry that it's a, a plan that nobody I know seems to like, and yet somehow... The Ford government seems to be pushing it through. <laughs> I don't know who the, who the advisory committee is, but I've never talked to one person that says, you know what we need down there? We need a spa and a water park. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it hasn't got brought up uh, too, too terribly much. Jim Cuddy's joining us from Blue Rodeo in Toronto today on 640 Toronto. Last thing for you, I know the last time we talked, we were reminiscing um, in the aftermath of, of Gordon Lightfoot's passing, and we lost, I know, somebody else that meant so much to you, so much to uh, your band, and that's from the band, Robbie Robertson. And even for somebody like me who kind of came to him via his solo work, um, like I love Showdown at Big Sky, and then you go back and listen to all the other stuff from the 70s and you see the Scorsese film, you, could, you did a song of his out of the blue on one of your albums about a decade ago as well um, on on In Our Nature. So he must have meant so much to you. I think the whole band meant a lot to us. I think when we played with uh, um, Robbie and Garth and, and uh, Rick Danko at the 89 Junos, just, you know, I mean, Robbie was obviously a pretty spectacular figure. Garth was not that conversant, but Ricky was an amazing guy. Yeah. And we had a few things to do with him over the years and and I think what you realized was uh, that that was truly a band. And I think that we always consider ourselves a band as well, that, that without the contributions of everybody, they don't make the music that they make. And <clears throat> that was, uh, um, it was an amazing uh, thing to be introduced to, an amazing thing to get to know those guys, and also to realize that, you know, the form of music that we play, which is Roots or Americana, which mm-hmm. is kind of weird because mm-hmm. we're Canadian, but... Um, they were the they were the ones that, that invented it. They they were the first people that applied that trade of, of Americana music. It wasn't country and it wasn't folk and it wasn't rock, but it had all those elements combined together in this really beautiful uh, mashup that, that they you know pretty much invented. So <clears throat> yeah, I mean, there's nobody that would have looked at the band and said the last person to be alive will be Garth Hudson, because. I don't think anybody thought that Robbie Robbins. No, but I, did you know he was sick? I didn't know he was sick. No, no. Yeah, so it's a, you know it's shocking, and, and I think just in general it's shocking too that these that these uh, these legendary figures were sort of losing a whole generation of of people that invented forms of music or, or at least expanded them or moved them forward. That's uh, definitely sad. Yeah. Um, you uh, you have a safe trip back. I know we're all looking forward to seeing uh, you and the fellas on uh, on Saturday night and the ladies as well. And you got two great opening acts, uh, as noted, with Wild Rivers and Rose Cousins. And you guys are all out um, in the fall playing a lot of other Ontario cities, aren't you, with the uh, the 30 Years of Five Days tour in the uh, basically after September? Yeah, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna finish up and go out east and do some stuff in Ontario and and uh, celebrate that record that definitely changed our course. Yeah, I see you in London, October 15th, Hamilton, October 13th, and we've got listeners there too. Jim, thanks so much for the time today. Have a great show on Saturday night, and, and uh, we always enjoy our conversations with you on the air here. Thank you, Greg. It's always nice to talk to you, and have a great day. There's Jim Cuddy giving us some time. Blue Rodeo, uh, Bud Stage, Saturday night. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. The Deputy Prime Minister and Finance Minister, Christian Freeland, out in Alberta, um, Got quite a speeding ticket. We all probably remember our first speeding ticket or two. 
Um, if you look at the data, they tend to drop off significantly after the age of 25. Sheba, I know you never get speeding tickets. I do, and I have. Still, recently. I haven't, I haven't, had, I haven't had a speeding ticket in about, it's been over a decade. It's probably 11 it's or same. 12 years. I'd say me too, around the exact same time. My, car, my car would have to start um, for me to get a, it's still in the shop, uh, for me to get a speeding ticket. But drivers, this is just in Minnesota, so I, I only but can wait. find one state. Drivers age 16 to 25 get 43% oh, of the wow. state's speeding tickets. So think about how many people are driving from 25 to 75 or older. So is it because you just don't speed anymore or you know where the traps are? What is it? I think I'm just, yeah, I'm more cautious about time and place. I mean, okay. I speed. I, I was talking to Dave Bradley this morning and I looked down, we were talking about the Freeland ticket that we're going to talk about. And, and I was sitting there at 128 and I'm like, I guess I could get stopped for 128, but I'm not going to go 142. And then I know to get on the 401 and I know what I get on the DVP. Gord takes the same route I do. You go from 190 and then you got to really sort of yes. curb but, your enthusiasm as it were with the lead foot. Thing. I was going to say, if you're doing 128 in DVP, you're you, in you, that You're a good racing. shot. Good shot. You'll get nailed <laughs> on the DVP. Yeah. Yeah, you're wearing uh, you're wearing a helmet like you should wear at the at the go kart place. Christian Freeland is 55, and I only bring the age up to note that after 55, practically nobody gets speeding tickets, and <laughs> women never get speeding tickets. Oh. It's a hmm. it's a four to one male to female ratio. So um, they didn't give her a break, and uh, and this ticket, I'm not saying they should have. She got a 273 dollar fine. In, uh, in Alberta. And I know, look, you can imagine for driving 132 kilometers uh, between Grand Prairie and Peace River. So it's interesting, right? Like it's. Well, the I, speed limit there, it ranges. Yeah. On that actual part of the of Highway 2. So it's, it can be 60 kilometers, you know, if you're in a, 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 a town up to 110 kilometers. So let's just assume it was 110. So she was going 22 kilometers I th- over. I think I bet you they wouldn't stop her. I bet you they wouldn't stop anybody at 132 and a one. I'm more suspicious. It's a hundred. Here, this is just this is not to criticize anybody. The reporting's all over the place. The original report from a website called Counter Signal had her at 142 and a hundred. Her spokesperson says she was driving 132, and if she was driving 132 in a hundred, yeah, I could see a 200. I just think if you're going 40k over, you're almost stunt driving. You're the minister of stunt driving <laughs> and you are the deputy, uh, whatever. And But 273 is almost too low a price for a ticket. I don't know what a ticket goes for now, I don't know but I bet either. you if I got that proverbial 128 and 100 this morning, I feel like that'd be over 300 bucks. I could be wrong that about that. That high now. Four one six eight seven zero sixty four, and you can text us if you've gotten a ticket recently. But uh, honestly, and it's also four demerit points that she got it, it, at that yeah. price of a two hundred seventy three dollars ticket. You get four demerit points. But in her own omission, she doesn't own a car, so you know maybe she's not yeah. used those to rental driving. those rental pedals. Yeah, hope she got the are uh, they're they're a little well, she soft. Can't, you know what? She can afford to pay it. She canceled her Disney Plus. This is so months she, of Disney Plus, Sheba. I knew that. Yeah, so she's saved up enough to pay for that ticket. But it's true, Gord, you're right. She doesn't actually own a car. She's very proud of that. She says she lives 300 meters from the nearest subway. So she walks everywhere. She takes the subway. She makes her kid her kids walk, ride their bikes, and take the subway. Yeah, and that and that would that would be great if uh, she was in Prince Edward Island telling people, well, I take the subway. And they're like, thanks for that advice. We don't have a subway, but yeah. we'll really appreciate you weighing in. And the other obvious joke or line would be, was it an, it must have been an EV. Those things can fly. It yes, can't can. have been an internal combustion engine. She would never do that. She would never 
take a car with fossil fuels and gun that sucker (laughs) up to 132 kilometers an hour. She wouldn't do that. Set your money on fire. Might as well just do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So look, look, this is odd, Sheba. I think we'd agree. Let's let's run down the list of things that could have potentially happened because it's fun to do. (laughs) If she'd got a DUI, even a charge, she'd have to quit, wouldn't she? I'd have to quit my job. I know that. I, I would certainly get suspended. Really? Okay, wait, wait. But if you were to get a DUI, let's say you got one last night, would we? Would anybody know? I, I, I think if I came in and I'd have to tell the appropriate people that I got one. Why? It, Why do you have to tell them? I think you have to tell them when there's been some kind of police interaction outside of a don't? 132 and a 100. They would never know if you didn't. For all we know, you get one every week, and we don't know. I can't. I can't risk. Uh, you know the websites that follow the John Oakleys and the Kelly Contreras. <laughs> And at times, the Greg Brady's around looking for dirt on us. I can't afford someone to reveal it. Okay, but she, we know she would it, get fired. She would have to quit. Yes, she'd resign. Now she would not have to. I'm asking. She would not have to quit if she got a distracted driving text and drive. Those no. are really expensive. I think those ticket scores start at six hundred bucks. Yeah. I feel like, and you can get a thousand. You, you like, get those on a weekly basis. That's I what do, I I've, I've gotten one text and drive in my life, and it was over a decade ago. <laughs> But it was an expensive ticket, and I went to court to plead, pl- to beg the judge not to give me the max fine, and and she didn't. Okay. She didn't give me the max fine, but it was still like a $400 ticket, and I learned my lesson. And I don't text and drive except at stoplights, uh, whatever, um, and when I'm going under 20K an hour in, in uh, bumper-to-bumper traffic. Anyway, if she'd hit someone and caused an accident going 132. I don't think she'd have to resign. Oh, I do. Unless it was a fatality. <sighs> That's a big speed. If it's a one again, if it's a one thirty two and a ninety, there's a lot of context to this information. That <laughs> so we're analyzing really her important. entire life based on this one. <laughs> no, what could potentially ticket? I think it's really interesting because can I make the case going one thirty two and a ninety is more dangerous than responding to a to a text or reading a text? There's a big difference, by the way, between texting and I reading a text. I don't agree with that. No, I don't agree. You disagree? With that. I, I, do. I well, then we're going to be at loggerheads here. I, I absolutely think it's more dangerous. But you're to still go focused on the road. 90. You're still. Are if you're you? Te- if you're well, if you're yeah, of course, if you're going that speed, you're off. I'm assuming. What you're if you're focused. changing the radio station? No, but let's say you're not. Let's say 90. you're not distracted. She, you think her hands are phone? at nine and three? <laughs> All the well, time. Well, speaking of, I love the cover, the front page of the Toronto Sun. Uh, it's a picture of her in a race car wearing a, a racing helmet. And the, the headline is The Fast and the Spurious. The Sun must have got so excited. They've never been more excited for a story. They've never been more excited that they can put Christian Freeland in like a in like a race car like make her She's like, wearing racing gloves, she's got her thumbs up. <laughs> like she looks like Tom Cruise in Days of Thunder. <laughs> she does. Right. I mean, she's taller than Tom. Well, I bet. Well, aren't Everybody, we all? Right. Yeah. yeah, exactly that. Let's play this clip of uh, <laughs> this, this guy just got his G2. This kid got his G2 and he got caught going twice the legal speed limit. They show the video is great if you can find it because they show the cop. The guy flies by the cop. So it's a cop dash cam. And then the cop puts his lights on. He puts his lights on before. It's like when you see a field goal in the NFL, Gordon. It's right down. The guys have their hands up already. Yes, before they know. They're like, this is just so so obvious. Here's the clip of uh, of the guy uh, getting stopped by the cop. 126 in a 60. 126 in a 60. He's been stopping his first year. You're going very fast. 124 kilometers an hour in the 60. It's more than double the speed limit. You're stunned driving tonight. The ghost speed. Who owns the car? Uh, my parents. 
So you just got your G2, your, your G2. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. So there's some consequences that are going to happen right now. The car is going to be impounded for 14 days. Your license is suspended for 30. The car can be picked up by a licensed driver, your current, for example, after the 14-day period has gone by. You're going to be receiving two tickets tonight, one for speeding and one for stunt drive. I'm going to need you to get on the phone and get uh, somebody to come and pick you up. I'm going to have to speak to one of your parents. Whoever owns the vehicle, I'm going to have to speak to you. Were able to get a hold of somebody? Yeah. Yeah, be on their way? Uh, I, I spoke to someone for a while. I didn't explicitly ask him to come pick me up. I, I think I might just walk in the truck. Okay, you know where, our, where we are right now? We're in Elgin Mills in 48. That's a very long walk that far. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's my favorite part, Sheba. He's 16 <laughs> kilometers away from his home address. But he's terrified of what's going to happen when his parents I show up. I would never call my parents. No, I'd never. call my worst enemy before I'd call my parents and tell them <laughs> the car is going to be impounded for 14 days. And how old are you with your G2? 19? Oh, no. you 17. 18. Oh, whoa, 17 yeah, is your G2. Because G2 is the prior to the G. Oh, yes. He wants to be the G. The original gangster. 126 <laughs> and a 60. Him Seven. and Christy Freeland. <laughs>